I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 172. And welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. This week's song, Do It Again by Elevation Worship, begins with a reference to the walls of Jericho in the book of Joshua. And I know right where to go in scripture, and I don't need to add anything to it, so let's listen. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me To fully appreciate the reference found in our lyrics today, we need to jump into the book of Joshua and read the story of the walls of Jericho falling. And before I get too far into scripture, I want to encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. I often say, if I can merely jump on this podcast and tell you that you need to read Joshua chapter 6 and you would go pick up your Bible and do it, then I've done what God has called me to do and I could sign off right now. We are in a biblically illiterate society. People are not reading the Bible for themselves, and now fewer and fewer churches even are preaching through God's Word too. And I can't tell you the number of sermons I've heard over the years where a pastor may be teaching truth, but does so with three points and a couple of verses thrown in for good measure. If you are a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that I prefer to sit in larger chunks of scripture and see what the text is saying. This is also known as exegesis. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, um, uh, Paul talks to Timothy and he commands him to use exegetical methods. You know, he says, present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. An honest student of the Bible will allow the text to speak for itself. Now, we can get wonderful truths. You can hear very profound messages uh, when you compare that with just some revelation that God has given to a pastor, but you need to know what the Word of God says. The opposite of exegesis is called eisegesis, and it easily lends itself to error because you become a would-be interpreter. You're attempting to align the text with your own preconceived notions. 
simply exegesis allows us to agree with the Bible. Eisegesis seeks to force the Bible to agree with us. So I'm not saying that every sermon that doesn't break down the text verse by verse is wrong. But I believe any other method can lend itself to error and over time has created a biblically illiterate society. So many times, even in exegetical sermons, there's an assumption that the listener knows the stories and examples of the Bible as well as the speaker. So like the speaker says, you know how in uh, Matthew it says this, or you know how in Joshua when when the walls fell, and maybe you don't know. Maybe you've never read it. And while I believe it's a false assumption on the part of the pastor, there is something you can do about it. Read the Bible for yourself. You know, I know that there are confusing parts. I was laughing with um, some friends this week about some very odd things that I read in the Old Testament. And as someone who teaches God's word, I'm like, what do I do with that? What do I do with the guy who makes a speech with 35 head decapitated heads on one side of him and 35 decapitated heads on the other side? I'm not really sure what I can teach from that, you know. And so I know that there's some confusing parts, but this is what God has left us to reveal himself and his plans for us and all of creation for eternity. It is a love story of the rescuer coming to redeem this broken world to himself. And uh, so I was poking around YouTube a bit in preparation for the podcast, and I was reading through the comments of one of the videos that I watched, and one of the commenters said, wait, did Moses die? I was too lazy to read. Now, of course, someone else had to be snarky in their response to that comment, and so I don't want you to be snarky. Uh, but I'll, both comments, one being snarky brought me great sorrow. And the other one who just seemed too lazy to read that brought me great sorrow too. Please don't be too lazy to read. If you don't have a desire for God's word, pray for it. Choose today that you're going to elevate the importance of God's word in your mind, in your heart, in your choices of time, Facebook or scripture. Decide right now what you're going to choose when given the opportunity. Now, I don't want time in God's word to be something that you just check off your list. It should be lively and challenging and life-changing, but it will be none of those things if you don't read it. So let's not be too lazy to read. Let's make sure that if our pastor is assuming a level of Bible knowledge that we don't have, that we strive to gain it. It's as simple as just jotting down the references. He might be tossing out reference after reference and you've never read them or you're not sure where they are. Jot them down and go study for yourself. Read them in context. He might mention a story that you either don't really know about or maybe you feel like you should know better. Jot that down. Go read it again. It's easy. And if he routinely treats the sermon as a motivational talk rather than pointing you to God's word, can I be so bold as to encourage you to find another well to draw from? In this age of biblical illiteracy, we need all the help we can get to stay in God's word. We don't need more words that sound good. We need God's words. In fact, although we will be focusing in on Joshua chapter uh, 6, God gives Joshua this same advice that I just gave you in chapter 1. Listen to this. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. That is God's word, right? You do not do not turn 
from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua's success was dependent upon his obedience to God's word. His obedience was determined by the level of understanding of God's word. The level of understanding was that was dependent upon the time spent in God's word. And the time spent was enhanced through meditation and keeping the God's word on his lips, talking to other people about it, speaking God's word. The same is true for us. So, inspired by our song, let's examine one of Joshua's first adventures as the leader of God's special possession. Leading up to chapter 3, we see that Moses has died, and it was time for the Hebrew people who've been wandering in the desert for 40 years to finally take the promised land. The reason they wandered is because of their lack of faith. And this time when they sent spies into the land, they were not overwhelmed by the giants of the land, but rather they discovered that the people in the land were terrified of them because of all of the stories of God's might. And in fact, in episode 79, we really unpack Joshua chapter 2, where the spies go to scope out Jericho. And in chapters 3, 4, and part of 5, we see the people of Israel crossing the Jordan River and preparing to take their first city. Jericho. So God gives the people his battle plan, actually gives it to Joshua. He gives them him the battle plan for taking Jericho in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. I had a hard time this week because this story was so familiar to me that I could almost tell it to you word for word. Uh, This is when I know that God has something more that he wants me to see. But my question to myself was, am I willing to put in the work? So I'm a fast reader. And whenever I know the story in God's word is such like, here's what you're going to say. And then the story basically says everything again, because now it shows them saying it. So like right now, I just gave you the recap of the battle plan. And it's going to go on to say how the men marched around the city six times and on the seventh day, and it's going to retell it kind of um, with more detail. So when that when that does that in God's word, I tend to speed read. Ah, I just get to the next part. And so I used a couple of Bible interaction tool exercises to help me slow down this week. First, this is an epic story. And every epic story deserves an epic soundtrack, don't you think? Well, this bite, this Bible interaction tool exercise will be the most amazing bite for some of you and others will roll your eyes and dismiss it. But let me just say, don't knock it until you try it, okay? 
Listen to an epic soundtrack while reading God's epic stories. Now, I have like a Pandora station epic soundtrack that I I throw on there. It has like Narnia and Lord of the Rings and Gladiator and all of that stuff. And so when that music is building and, and growing in the background and I'm reading an epic story, it really does help bring things alive. The second bite goes hand in hand with the epic soundtrack, and that is to slow down. Um, I needed to take the time to picture the scene. And if I were writing the screenplay and the epic music was playing and the story was played out on a big screen, what other details would I see? Uh, my daughter and I are reading Anne of Green Gables together. There's a new series on Netflix called Anne with an E, and it depicts the it, it's the story of Anne of Green Gables. And we watched the first episode, and Meredith kept asking, "Is it just like the book? Is it just like the book?" And and it really was so much so that I wanted to go ahead and reread the book or read it with her the first for the first time before watching any more of the episodes. And what I noticed while we read the first couple of chapters together was the detail that was actually reflected in that episode, but written out in the book. So the ruts and the road and the willow trees, all of these details were in the movie, but detailed in the book so that you didn't skip over them. And so I was talking to Meredith about why it was valuable to read in addition to, she's like, well, if it's just like the book, let's just watch the episode. Um, Spoken like a true 10-year-old on summer break. But Meredith described it like this after we talked about it. She said that when you're watching a movie, you miss the details of the fences and the flowers and the ruts. They're there, but you're focused in on the main character. And I totally agree with that. So that's what I'm saying. When, um, I followed another bite of exploring additional resources like maps and art, and I realized that I was skipping over some of the details that I could go ahead and imaginatively fill in the blanks and let this scene really come to life. So with epic music playing in the background and with a few of the art pieces that I looked at kind of getting my juices flowing, I mean, I was thinking about the walls, but I wasn't picturing maybe that there might be people on top of the walls um, or maybe they were hiding in fear. I'm not sure, but I'm beginning to picture the scene. Okay, so some of it is just beginning to slow down and picture the scene. And Joshua chapter four says that there are 40,000 fighting men. So these are the men who are following the priests and the Ark of the Covenant around this city. And the city has fortified walls. And with a little digging, remember I, I researched some maps and art and all of that. I found this wonderful article talking about the fact that um, archaeology has found a lower wall and then like an embankment up to an upper wall. I'm going to lead a uh, uh, put a link to the article in the show notes, michellekneezat.com forward slash 172. And, um, <clears throat> but the, it, there, here's a portion of that article. It says the mound or tell of Jericho was surrounded by a great earthen rampart or embankment with a stone retaining wall at its base. The retaining wall was about 12 to 15 feet high. On top of that was a mud brick wall, six feet thick and about 20 to 26 feet high. And then at the crest of the embankment was a similar mud brick wall, whose base was about 46 feet above the ground level, the ground level outside the retaining wall. So this is what loomed high above the Israelites as they marched around the city each day for seven days. 
Humanly speaking, it was impossible for the Israelites to penetrate the impregnable bastion of Jericho. That's what the article said. So all total, the city was about nine acres, so about half a mile around to march. So I'm picturing 40,000 armed men marching a half a mile a day, silently following priests, carrying the Ark of the Covenant and blowing their horns. And for those onlookers in the city, if they dared to look out, uh, they would see these priests blowing horns and carrying a box uh, because the Ark of the Covenant was, quote unquote, just a box. But for those 40,000 men, most of whom had never even seen the Ark of the Covenant until it went before them when they they just crossed the Jordan River and the Ark of the Covenant went before them. Uh, But the Ark of the Covenant was in, in a in the Holy of Holies, and it wasn't a place that those guys could go in and and chit-chat with God. And so here it is, the very presence of God was before them as they marched around this city silently. Um, My question is, were they told the entire plan? (laughs) Did they know that this was going to last seven days? I'm not sure. Verse 6 says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Okay, so these armed men, I mean, it seems as though that they were just told to advance, you know, just be a good soldier and advance. Um, While they were silent as they marched, (laughs) I wonder how much chatter was at the camp or at least at least in their own minds. You know, the first day it probably seemed very solemn and very holy. And I'm sure that there were onlookers in the city. You know, just because the city gates were barred and the people were terrified doesn't mean that no one was looking to see what was going on. You know, but by the second day, the third day, the fourth day. If you're an armed Israelite following orders, you might very well be thinking what our song says, which is walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall, but you've never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle is won for you have never failed me yet. You see, because they have a choice here. They can disobey and suffer the consequences like their ancestors and continue wandering They had not been without miracles themselves. They had manna from heaven to eat every day. Their shoes had not worn out even after wandering 40 years in the desert. Some of them were old enough to remember the Red Sea uh, splitting. I mean, they would have been children. They would have been under fighting age because basically what happened was they wandered for 40 years till all of the men who were of fighting age um, died. And so some of them, the older ones at least, would have remembered the Red Sea. The ones who were born in the desert would not have remembered that. But if you read the account of how they crossed the Jordan, you would see it was very Red Sea crossing-like. You know, like how much more miraculous is it that a raging river at flood stage piles up in a heap and downstream dries up like a dry riverbed for thousands to cross over on dry land? 
So these marchers were waiting for change to come. They were waiting for the moment of victory, knowing that the victory had been promised by the Lord, knowing that though they had failed as a people and disobeyed and suffered the consequences, that God himself had not failed them. And he kept his promises and he was bringing them into the promised land. But were they thinking, so this is the promise? Marching around a city like a bunch of chumps hoping for a victory? On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded in the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. This city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Now, from that article, I I found that recent archaeology proves that basically the lower and upper walls fell. And the way that they fell, basically the, the army could have used the fallen walls and the embankment almost like a ramp to go up into the city and capture it. And that's exactly what scripture says. It says, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. The Red Sea stood between their freedom and their destruction and God made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see him do it again. The raging Jordan River at flood stage stood between their wandering and their entering the promised land. God made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see him do it again. The impregnable city of Jericho stood tall, walled, and secure, and stood as a barrier to their victory. God made a way where there was no way in his own way, and I believe I'll see him do it again. Are you being told by your commander to advance? You are getting up, getting armed for battle with the armor of God. You're clocking in, clocking out, and coming home, and the walls are still towering above you. There may even be mockers on the top of those walls by now, taunting you for your silent obedience. But one day, it will be time to shout. The walls will crumble, and the mockers will tumble to their demise in the rubble. God will make a way where there was no way, because that's how he does things. And I believe I'll see him do it Again, when you read epic stories in the Bible, you need to ask what questions the characters in the story might be asking. Consider the details. Don't miss the big picture and what the story tells you about the Lord and his characteristics, but consider ways that it might be relevant to us today. Our song reflects some of that this week, and so it is a wonderful tool to use as you meditate on this story. So what's next? We'll read Joshua chapter 6, and I I encourage you to read chapters 1 through 6 to get the full context of what was happening in this scene. Remember, every soldier who marched around the city of Jericho also experienced everything in chapters 1 through 6 leading up to Jericho. 
And a Bible interaction tool exercise that may just be a game changer for you is to listen to epic soundtracks while reading this epic story. And then while you're in God's Word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneedsat.com. Hop on Twitter or Facebook and we can talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank the premier Christian music streaming service, TheOverflow.com, for pointing their subscribers to this podcast, but more importantly, pointing them to God's Word through music. And when you subscribe to their trial, you will receive a 10-day series of devotions that I wrote based on some of my most popular podcast episodes. So I encourage you to check them out at TheOverflow.com. I also want to thank my newest subscribers to my website, Kathy from Arizona, Julie from Ohio, Roy from Texas, Mary from California, Francois from South Carolina, Nessa from Washington, Adriana from North Carolina, and Reno from India. Welcome. And new subscribers to my website, this is what you get. You'll benefit from a weekly email that I send. In the email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You also get an email recap of the week's episode and instant access to any of the extra resources that I create for my episodes from time to time. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. And then don't miss an episode of my podcast by subscribing in iTunes or Stitcher Radio if you have an Android device. While you're there, would you please leave me a written review or a star rating? This not only encourages me, but helps me stay visible to new listeners. As always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will use the song Find You Here by Ellie Holcomb. If you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 172. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways. <laughs>